We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Okay, good evening. Thank you for coming tonight. Glad that you are here. And if you're online, I think we're live, are we? Now we are live, so welcome as well if you're watching remotely. We uh, had a good day today, good uh, baptism service, nice lunch afterwards for those of you that... Let's turn our Bibles this evening to Second Chronicles 16. Second Chronicles 16. Hey, good evening, Chuck. Good to see you. I'm glad you're glad to be here. Amen. Good to see Carolyn, too. She had something to do with you getting here, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Chauffeur. All right. Second Chronicles 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Do you sense a problem here? You shouldn't have gone that way. Remember what we said this morning? Uh, Look to the Lord in your distress, and uh, we'll see that lesson here again. And he said this, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Mayim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Baasha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timbers of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Do you remember that army that came against them? It was just back. We just read it a couple weeks back. Um, very large army, a million men, wasn't it? Verse number 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So when you memorize that verse, remember that's part of a rebuke to King Asa, who should have not gone to Damascus. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. Oh boy, strike two. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Well, we'll call that as part of strike two. Um, 
Verse 11, note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Strike three. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients and prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. You remember, uh, was Asa counted as a good king or a bad king? You remember, brother? Yeah, it says in chapter 14, verse 2, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Obviously, that is a summary statement. That is not to mean that his good did not have some bad sprinkled in, some flies in the ointment. Uh, We'd rather avoid those flies, though, too, right? Even if we have a generally good pattern, some people have made a a little bit of a, a shipwreck in their lives, and we pray God help us to avoid that in foolish decisions. And I mean, in that second strike there, getting angry at God's prophet for just being the messenger. Mm, how bad. So, well, I mentioned uh, an opportunity for any of you brothers that might have something that you would like to uh, share with us this evening. I know I sprung that on you here last minute, but if there is anyone, we would welcome you to come and read or offer a prayer uh, for the, before the Lord's table. And then I'll share some from the Word. Um, and what I think I'll do is I think I'll just uh, have a seat for a moment and let you ponder that. And if you're so led, you may come and share, brothers, uh, here. And then um, I'll come up, okay? Well, let's just take a, t- a moment, and we'll use the time for some reflection if no one is uh, so minded to come. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. The Gospel of Matthew and chapter 20. Verse 17, 18, and 19. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. There was another saying just like this one, actually several that were similar, but Matthew's record shows that Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem for the last time. You look ahead in your Bible and you have maybe little headings there. You'll see in chapter 21, what great event, the triumphal entry. So we're about on the cusp of that event in the Passion Week to start. And just before this great event is this critical juncture for the Lord to tell his disciples what is about to happen. And he does that. Luke records a similar saying, and the saying is in Luke 9, 44 to 45. And I, I wanted to bring that into this because it's parallel and it also has an important thought in it, I think, for us this evening. The statement that Luke records happened at a different time in the Lord's ministry 
but at a similarly critical juncture. It was there in Luke 9, starting in verse 51, that the Bible says that Jesus set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. And then throughout the rest of the book of Luke is kind of the tra- tracing the meandering path of the Lord through uh, Israel as he made his way finally to this uh, destination of Jerusalem. And we know that he made some, some short visits you know, for feasts and things during that time, but it was the culmination was that well-known entry into Jerusalem, which we see here in the triumphal entry in chapter 21 that's about to occur. Um, and this is the time when the Lord was to be entering into, enter into Jerusalem and then to be crucified outside of Jerusalem. And here's the passage in Luke 9. It says in verse 44 and then 45, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this, saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. That opening phrase struck me in my study as I thought about it this past week. As for you, what he says is, place or put these sayings into your ears. If you're in just the right mindset, that might sound a little humorous to you. Put these sayings and push them into your ear. Put them deep into your ears. The obvious idea is to think deeply about them. And some translations actually translate it that way. They'll say, well, the figure of speech says, let these things sink into your ears. But we're going to change that in English to be, listen carefully. And I wondered about that uh, to myself. And I said, you know, there may be a good reason why the Lord used a figure of speech here instead of just direct speech to say what the intention was. Maybe this idea, this picturesque idea of letting sayings sink into your ears was important to him. Something like we might say there's a little bit of a difference between, hey, listen to what I'm saying, and maybe the more serious version of that, which is don't let it go in one ear and out the other. That's saying, listen carefully, but it's doing so in a way that's a picture that's just like the sound waves flowing through an empty brain and not engaging any synapses to cause you to think about it. I think he uses this purposefully, and I I like the translation, something about put these in your ears or let them sink into your ears. Again, think deeply about them. Do not ignore them. Let them impact you. Pay attention to them and that sort of thing. There's also an emphasis in the passage in Luke about the subject of the verb. The verb is in Greek has built into it the subject. You put these into your ears. But he also adds the pronoun to it. You, and I do take there to be some emphasis there, you, dear disciples of all people, are to listen carefully as to what the Lord is about to say. It's going to be an important statement. Now, I cannot help think but that the Lord has recorded this for us as well to make sure we are thinking deeply 
about what happened to him. I'll make some, another comment about that in a moment. The information that the Lord was conveying to them was that he was about to be betrayed. He was going to be, in Luke's words, turned over to men. Now, if you're informed about men, people, human nature, this becomes for you an ominous statement. You mean a man who is without fault, without sin, is going to be turned over to other men. What are they going to do to him? How are they going to abuse him? How are they going to harm him? What are they going to do to him? If you grasp the opposition that the Lord faced, if you understand the depravity of people who would do terrible things to him, I mean, there's a reason why in our Constitution there's a phrase about not permitting cruel and unusual punishments because our forefathers understood the things that happened in, in ages gone by that I won't describe, but terrible, terrible tortures done to humans by other humans, inhumane things that shouldn't be even thought of, much less done. And people do those things and delight in them. It's sick. But that's what the Lord is saying. They're going to hand me over. Think of the scourging, just that alone, that he faced, and what it would do to a man's body. That's a cruel and unusual kind of punishment. Then you think of the person who does the betraying, not just the people to whom he's turned over, but the people or the person who does the betrayal. Just who would do that kind of thing to an innocent man? Who would lie about him or conceive an evil plot? Or like in Proverbs we alluded to earlier today, think on their beds, how am I going to swallow him up alive like Sheol and take his spoils? Who would come up with such an evil plot to get him into the custody of the authorities? You know, if you don't like the fellow, just leave. Just leave him. Why do you have to do this? Betray him, the Son of Man. Now, the Lord doesn't specify Jews or Gentiles in the Luke passage. He just says we'll be betrayed to the hands of men, but we know both groups were involved in the Matthew passage. But the information was so new to the disciples, so shocking that it says the saying was hidden from them so they did not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, that was in Luke 9, so that was one of the earlier occasions where the Lord gave this statement. So uh, remember in Matthew's gospel, the Lord described the same thing before in chapter 16 and in chapter 17, and now again a third time in chapter 20 that he predicts his death and his resurrection. So by now, it's not new information, but it is so difficult that it has to be repeated in order to get through the earwax. Now, this was a private conversation in Matthew 20. It says, Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road. So this wasn't a public discourse. This wasn't meant for the public. Uh, the Lord, I think, had an idea that he wasn't going to like sway or um, uh, prejudice or impact the, the approach of the public toward him with a statement to them about his 
crucifixion and being handed over and so on. So it was a private conversation. Maybe it was the 12 only. Maybe it was the others, including the women who traveled with them. You know that that was not just 12. There were others too, uh, and they're listed in various places in the Gospels. Regardless, this was not a conversation with the general public. But today, this private conversation is not so private, is it? It's been lifted into scriptural status by Matthew and by Luke and the other gospel writers that we would know what was happening. Jesus explained the death and resurrection of himself before it happened, so, and we have eyewitness testimony of, of the explanation. We also have eyewitness testimony of the fulfillment of it. And he did this to prove that he is who he says that what he did was more significant than any old death of any old person, and so that his disciples would not get credit for the resurrection. I was reading in Isaiah the other day, and the idea came out that God tells his prophets what he's going to do ahead of time so that the idols will not get credit for what he's about to do. So it's clear that God is the one who gets the credit, and it glorifies him when a prophecy is given and then fulfilled. So Jesus in Matthew, uh, again, here we read, he explains precisely what's going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. We're going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. We're going to be condemned to death by them. Number four, we're going to be delivered to the Romans or the Gentiles. Number five, we're going to be mocked and scourged. Number six, we're going to be crucified. And why? Why is he going to be crucified? Well, Matthew 26, 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's why this all happened to him. And then finally he says that he would rise again from the dead. Wasn't it refreshing this morning to have three young people answer the question when I asked them, do you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And they all said, yes, they do. We had the joy of baptizing them in the triune name of God. But that's what was going to happen to the Lord. He prophesied it, and he explained later why he was to die, that is, to die for sinners. Uh, in fact, later on in the chapter in Matthew, we haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to see that the, the, the Lord is going to explain in 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the theology of his death is being developed but before that, the bare facts of his death have to be given and developed uh, for the disciples to start to get this idea. I mean, you can imagine if your best teacher, friend, uh, leader, rabbi, you've been with him for three and a half years, three years, and he's saying, I'm going to die, that's got to be pretty depressing, so much so that you don't even want to think about it or understand it or or grasp what is he talking about and why is this happening. What I want to emphasize in this message tonight is simply this. We need to let this truth of Jesus being betrayed and, and scourged, 
crucified, dying for our sins and rising again. We need to let this sink into our ears, just like the disciples. We need to think, we need to meditate, we need to profit from what the Lord said and did for us. In other words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what will this do when we do this? Four things I jotted down. Number one, paying careful attention or letting these sayings sink into your ears will affect how you think and how or what you think about. You would be more grateful for Jesus that he went through all of this on your behalf. You should be thankful to be able to serve such a Lord as this who knows how to be utterly abased yet is worthy of glory. It should affect the kinds of things you think about, those dark thoughts, those, those sinful, tempting thoughts, those things would be impacted if you would let these truths sink down into your ears, that the Son of Man was to be betrayed, condemned, delivered, scourged, mocked, crucified, and to rise again. Let those sayings sink into your ears. Number two, Putting these truths into your ears will affect how you live. You will want to forsake sin because you will see the high price of sin paid for by the one who loved you. Does that make sense? You let this sink in and you'll be able to think more like God wants you to think and you will live more like God wants you to live because you will see the high price of sin that was paid by the one who loved you, and it will drive you away from sin. You'll say, I cannot participate in that. I cannot. I must get away from the things of this world. Number three, letting these things sink into your ears impacts how you treat others. First of all, knowing the horror of betrayal and the injustice and grave mistreatment of an innocent man, Jesus, you would not do those sorts of things to others, nor would you support a system of justice, injustice, where those things happen too. You see that? Because you're a Christian, you would call for justice. You would call for honesty. You would call for truth and sentencing, if you will. You would call for you know, uh, doing everything we can to make sure that that uh, innocent people are not condemned or that people are not charged with frivolous, uh, frivolously for crimes that they are, you know, the prosecutor wants to lay on them or whatever. You would know the horror of betrayal and the injustice and mistreatment of an innocent person. And secondly, if you let these things under this third heading here, you would recognize that if Jesus died in such painful circumstances to save your soul from the consequences of sin, how do you think you should act toward others? Forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. That sounds reasonable to me if you let these sayings sink into your ears that the sins of that brother or sister against you have been dealt with in a cosmic system of justice with God as the judge, the Father, punishing his own son on the cross for those sins, not only your sins, but the sins of others also. Number four, Meditating on what the Lord says, letting those things sink into your ears, will cause your love for Him to grow. That love will become a more integrated part of your life. 
Think about it. If someone was willing to go what he went through, to go through with what he went through, to take care of your sin, that is tremendous. And should elicit a kind of loving life and service for this great one who is above all else. Love is demonstrated in the mind, in attitude, in speech, and in behavior. Love drives you to naturally want to keep the Lord's word. Remember, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. That this letting these sayings sink into your ears, thinking about the fact that Jesus did that as your substitute, will increase your love for him. Love induces you not only to keep his word, but to help others. You know, if you have this world's goods, you see somebody has need, they, you know, somehow need something and you don't give it to them. How's the love of God dwell in your hearts? Love also causes you to want to serve. John 13, 15, Jesus said, I've given you an example. Remember when he washed their feet, dried them with the towel with which he was girded. That love that comes from letting these things sink into your ears will cause you to want to serve others. If you love God, you desire to worship him, to be with his people, to draw others to him, and to even endure mocking and persecution on his behalf. Again, all as a result of letting these things sink into your ears. It will affect how you think, how you live, how you treat others, and it will cause your love for him to grow. Those four truths I think we can kind of extract out of here and thinking how it affects us, and that's what I wanted to do to make application tonight from this. So think, think, think. Don't bumble through life ignoring God and his word. It's critical that you keep this information in mind, if none other. You know, if you can't get past this, don't worry about packing your head full of sound doctrine or facts and figures about the Bible and stuff like that. We want you to understand the word of the Lord that he prophesied, giving this truth that he was going to die for us, predicting it, and then having it come to pass. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and according to this prophecy, and again, he rose from the dead, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So what to do about it? What to do about all this? Well, one thing is to celebrate the Lord's table, both as a solemn remembrance and also as a joyful remembrance. That song uses that phrase, uh, joyful grief. I can't remember the name of the song just now. Somebody will come up with it out here. But uh, with a joyful grief, we come to the Lord's table at what the Lord has done, the grief, the, the betrayal, the suffering, the death, the joy, though, the resurrection, the remission of sins, the gracious way in which he treats us and allows us to serve him. So we, with that joyful grief at what the Lord has done, let us partake of the elements of the table this evening together. Tonight, uh, we've asked... Uh, two folks who aren't normally uh, serving us, but they shall serve us tonight, Lord willing, Brother James and Brother Dwayne. And so what we're going to do is pray to close, and then we will uh, shut down the live stream after I pray, and then we will share the elements together. Let me uh, just do that again. Father, we are grateful to you for 
the word recorded for us that raised a private conversation to the level of public scripture that everyone in the world can now know that our Lord prophesied of his coming work at Calvary for us. May it affect how we think and act and love and treat others. And Lord, may we come to the table tonight with that joyful grief appropriate for the solemn and yet celebratory occasion. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.